0: The following podcast is an Embassy Row production.
1: Welcome back to Shaken and Stirred. I am Nigel Barker and my co-host is already being incredibly rude. Um, Tom Astor from England. How are you, Tom? Very well, Matt. Very well. How are you? Very well. It looks like you've actually had a bath for, uh, I suppose, the, the one bath a year, the sort of royal bath?
2: I bet. The joy of Zoom is that everyone can jump on, but it does mean that while you guys are all having these things at cocktail hour, I'm kind of, it's late in the evening for me, so, you know, I'm... By this time, yeah, bathed
1: and ready for bed, but not ready for bed. What he's doing right now, everybody, is whining. And I don't mean like whining and dining. This is his whining with an H as usual. (laughs) And meanwhile, yes, it is five o'clock here and it is cocktail hour somewhere. Our guests have appeared to come from Los Angeles for some odd reason predominantly, where it is in fact lunchtime. But that's because they will love to drink at lunch. So, you know, it really works rather well. Tommy boy, what are you drinking?
2: I am drinking a gin fizz, and I will hold it up, not that you can see that on a podcast, but gin fizz first referenced in 1887, Jerry Thomas's bartender's guide, very popular between 1900 and 1940, became the hometown speciality of New Orleans, so popular they had to get extra barmen in the bars to, to get their shakers going, and became international in 1950, so it left, left America and hit Europe, like, I guess in 1950 it is gin and lemon juice and sugar it is incredibly simple and i've topped with fizzy water which gives it the fizz you could also refer to it as a tom collins which was, a, was the old tom gin which is a slightly sweeter gin um which was a precursor to the london dry gin and the great thing about this drink it's incredibly refreshing it's very easy to make and there is a silver fizz which is if you put the addition of an egg white in it there's a golden fizz, which is an egg yolk, a royal fizz, which is putting the whole egg in, and the, the alcohol basically cooks the egg. Diamond fizz, which is you use sparkling wine instead of sparkling water, which is also called a French 75, and a green fizz, which is a dash, you can add a dash of creme de menthe. I'm having a straight-up gin fizz, but I've got mint from the garden and blueberries in
1: mine. Why not? It seems to me that you are missing the ginger fizz, which is what's happening right in front of me. <laughs> There we go. I could put a bit of ginger in it.
2: Exactly.
1: Maybe I should do that. Yeah. There you go. Ginger fizz. I think that's what we're missing. But you know what, Tom? I was about to talk about my drink. I am drinking, I know you've made one of these before. It is a dark and stormy. Ooh. I know. Yeah. A rather delicious dark and stormy. And it's the first time I've actually had a, a dark and zombie that I've made because you've made them for, more, for me in the past. But you know, a, as you know, it is rum, ginger beer, and lime. Right, a bit of lime on the side. I added bitters. I added a little bit of Angostura bitters to mine, uh, and I, I found a couple of recipes that included it. It's not always the case. Like not everyone does that. What I did find is very interesting is that in the U.S., right, Goslings own the trademark to the dark and stormy. If you, Can you believe it? So right. if you make this drink in the US, and you talk about it, you, you have to say that you use Gosling's Black Seal rum. But if you're anywhere else in the world, you can just use a dark rum. So it's one of those drinks that was really created in the Caribbean, in Bermuda. And actually the story, which is rather great, is that it was the Bermuda's Royal Navy Officers Club that used to make ginger beer, and they actually put a splash of this gosling rum into their ginger beer, and it floated on top of the ginger beer, and one of the officers looked at it and described it, the ominous hue and the color of it, as a cloud that only a fool or a dead man would sail under, hence the name The Dark and Stormy, and uh, they've been drinking it ever since. Now, one of the important things about the drink is to use ginger beer, not ginger ale. Very easy to get confused, they're sold in the same place. Ginger beer used to be alcoholic, used to be, it's brewed like a beer. It's literally fermented with sugar, like a beer using real ginger. But ginger ale is simply sparkling water with some ginger syrup, completely different. Tastes very different. Ginger beer is spicy and much more heady, and you get a real ginger hit. So it's important that you get that right. And you'll see a lot of the mixologists and cocktails that are made in this way, they stir them, so you don't get the effect, you don't get the look. Although, of course, if you don't stir it, you get a real hard hit of rum, like I'm about to get.
2: And you also get the look. You look a little bit dark and stormy.
1: That is my nickname, dark and stormy. (laughs) That is right. Well, listen, on to a little bit of booze news. We have some booze news, Tom. You said you had something for me. What do you got? Ew, I have got, and
2: it's about America. It's said uh, bars and restaurants are shut down. And the good news, the prohibition on drinking in public is temporarily over. You know, normally, Americans have to go to Europe to drink outside. So you go to Germany, you go to England, you go to whatever. You can go and have a pipe, put a sound on the table outside and drink it. Or you, you go for a walk with a bottle of beer, if you want, and drink it on your walk. It's completely legal in, in most countries in Europe. In America, it's completely... Well, it's largely forbidden, with the exception of New Orleans. and
1: The hurricane. People walk around with those big hurricanes.
2: The 21st Amendment which repealed prohibition, which is one of my favorite things on, on this show, you know, when they repealed prohibition. The states in America were given their own powers over who could sell booze and, you know, when and how. And, and within days of this lockdown, this COVID lockdown, many states rescinded the laws to basically to keep people happy and to keep the booze businesses in business and the reason is because obviously the revenues from booze are so huge that it would be a big mistake to, to not encourage it the other thing we do know is that you know during 9-11 during hurricane Katrina alcohol sales exponentially when there's a disaster go skyrocketing so you know alcohol also was deemed suddenly to be an essential which is quite an important um sort of shift and I am going to quote now, Mrs. Schuster of the Alcohol Professor online magazine thinks it will be very hard to put the genie back in the bottle now that people have got used to walking around with a beer with a lid off and drinking in public and going for a picnic and cracking a bottle of wine. And she just thinks that um after this passing of this pandemic that things won't be the same again.
1: No more walking around with your drink in a brown paper bag with a straw. Oh, yeah. Finally, we can, you know, because even then, you know you know how many Karens, if you like, <laughs> or soccer mums or whatever you want to call it, are drinking alcohol out of those baby cups and those sippy cups and what have you uh, at sporting events? Oh, yes, I can tell you because I know I go to them myself and I'm not one to judge. I'm not one to, but there are people drinking Aperol spritzes, vino and everything else out of a sippy cup. Well, no longer. They can now bring out their whispering angel and turn into screaming bitches um, as quickly as they like. Hilarious. But I think about time, and um, I'm not surprised at all. So our guest today is a multi-talented comedian, actor, writer, pop culture guru. He's the host of the massively popular podcast, Everything Iconic, and the author of best-selling Fancy AF, I'm not going to say it, Cocktails. Welcome Danny Pellegrino. Hello.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to chat.
1: <laughs> I'm very excited to chat. See, sorry I had to say your name in that way. I just, when I, as soon as I see your name, I sort of feel like I have to
0: become a sort of a, a boxing commentator or something. Uh, <laughs> Danny Pellegrino. <laughs> I think I want to export the audio as my ringtone. Um, to be honest, it was good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and for all of you who are not, who actually aren't watching this, or just listening to this, Danny has a very large red mic. And um, it, it's, it's reminiscent of sort of Rudolph's red nose and almost looks like Tom Astor has in fact been superimposed onto a microphone. So if you can imagine the two combined, it's, 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 uh, it's very fetching and it, it's actually, you know, apparently Danny's in his office. I can't quite believe it.
0: The blue screen behind him is fabulous. I know, uh, you know, shockingly, this is actually green. I know I'm giving away the secrets, but the background is actually a green screen, but it's blue to you. Nigel, <laughs> I thought you were trying to tell me that I'm colorblind. I mean, wait, Nigel, you mentioned the, you mentioned I look like Rudolph and I, uh, this is giving away uh, too much of my psyches, psyche, but as a child, I was so scared of the Rudolph special, you know, the claymation. That was like a big fear of mine. Those, I sound crazy to people who <laughs> have no idea who I am, but I was so afraid as a child of those Rudolph specials and, and all of the claymation Christmas stuff as a kid. Oh, actually, I,
1: I did my research and I found that out. Okay. And so my, the whole point was, was, in fact, to sort of break you down right at the beginning of the interview, terrify you, and then build you up as we go. That's kind
0: of what we like to do on Shaken and Stirred. It's working. I already need a cocktail. So what are you drinking, Danny? You know, to be honest, I'm just drinking some water. I've been having some weird health stuff going on, not to bum everyone out, but I've been having some uh, health stuff. So at the moment, I'm not drinking any alcohol, but that'll change very soon.
1: I've got to say, I love this. You know, Danny comes on shaken and stirred. The comedian is obviously, is obviously thinks he's funny by bringing a a tall glass of water. Okay, I get it. Your name's Pellegrino, but you don't have to sell the product on the show. (laughs) I'm also
0: 6'3", Nigel, not to brag.
1: Ooh, okay. He is a tall
0: glass of sparkling water, isn't he? Fabulous. And also,
2: can I I just say at this point, Danny, also, your name is more popular than Nigel's Christian name, which, as we know from previous podcasts, has died out, officially died out in the UK. There's no one last year,
0: Chris and their child, Nigel. Oh my God, it was the end. Yeah, they peaked with this Nigel.
1: Well, that's it. I mean, the reality is, is, if you look on Instagram and you actually search my name, you will not just find myself and perhaps one or two, you know, fan pages and that kind of thing, but you will find a whole host of dogs, very small ones, normally like Pomeranians, right. called Nigel Barker. Uh, for some odd reason, <laughs> I have... That's cute, um, though. That's cute. I, mean, fabulous, I like that. yeah. fabulous. Not freaking huge that. Alsatians and German Shepherds and like massive kick-ass dogs no some tiny little pomeranian that i would have yeah. like a snack right which compared
2: to danny you are already tonight i mean are you slightly under 6'3 aren't you i don't know
1: what's, what's the... I,
0: i'm about yeah i'm i mean i round up to 6'3 but yeah i'm, a, I'm under it what's your arms span oh gosh i don't know but we can i'm sure i could get a measuring tape out if you want to wait a minute
1: <laughs> yeah know, you know that's what it's all about come on now danny so right. okay Talk about your name for a second, because we talked about Pellegrino. But he, just, he just took the mickey out of my name. Are you a Pellegrino?
0: Are you like? No, I'm not. I, I wish I was related. I think like some maybe very distantly, but I'm not, unfortunately, related to San Pellegrino, the water, um, although I do love drinking it. I'm just, um, no, unfortunately. And there's also some, I mean, depending on where you're located, I think like there's some Pellegrino wine and Pellegrino peppers. I'm not related to any of them. <laughs> I'd be broadcasting from a much bigger apartment if I was related somehow. <laughs> well, there you go. Well,
1: then there's that, isn't there? You know. Well, you know, this is a green screen behind me too. I've just decided to put up another part of Tom's house behind me, just in case you're wondering. Tell it, how did you get into comedy? How did it all start? Take us back.
0: You know, uh, after college, I moved to Chicago and I was studying, uh, I was taking classes at like Second City and doing a lot of like improv and sketch and writing, uh, like classes and performing and stuff there. And then, um, uh, I had moved uh from Chicago to Los Angeles, which is where i'm at now and i was I was still taking classes and performing around town and and when I came to los angeles i actually uh I started doing some stand up uh around town that was sort of while I was doing um, sketch and improv. And then I was also writing. And so I took some time to, uh, I ghost wrote a couple books for some celebrity authors. And and so I took some time off really from comedy. And then when I started my podcast, it started to pick up again where I was performing. And now I sort of do, uh, I do these live shows for my podcast, Everything Iconic. And they're sort of a weird mix of, of some stand up stuff. And then also kind of what I do on my podcast, which I recap a lot of reality shows or I interview celebrities. So, so it's kind of a weird mix of of all sorts of different types of comedy but yeah i i'd say in chicago is where i like really fell in love with it it's such a it's an improv town or at least it was when i went there now i the art form is not so much what it used to be but yeah it, it was such a like creative town and there's so many wonderfully talented comedians there uh and so that was where i really fell in love with it have you always been funny Uh, (laughs) Did
1: someone ever sort of did people just laugh at you at school? Were you the class clown, or how did
0: I'm much more sensitive? But I think uh, I remember being in like third grade, and there was a teacher, and I did an impression of her that the other kids would like laugh at. And I remember just like it was like a high. I remember thinking like, oh my god, I I love this. Like they were laughing at my impression of this teacher, which was so probably bad and and off. But I remember just being addicted to kind of the laughs. But yeah, I've always liked it. Do you do impressions now? I mean, No, no. I mean, I do impressions of like Housewives. So on my show, I cover Bravo. So I do, and they're not even good impressions. They're just like my version of what I hear when I listen to the Housewives. So they're, you know, I wouldn't consider myself any sort of impressionist or anything.
1: So I've, I, I've listened to your show and, and I, I've listened to various episodes of it. And, you know, I'm not a, necessarily a big fan of reality show and, and, and certainly Housewives specifically, although... I've met many of them. I've even had Kelly Benson on, on the show. Oh, tell me about that. Nigel, tell me about that. That was rather fun. And Kelly and I go back, actually. I've remembered Kelly for sort of 20-odd years from the fashion industry and when she worked at Elle and various things. And Tom had a rather the, sort of the hots for Kelly. He was very enamored by Kelly. So, you know. She's stunning.
0: Oh, absolutely. Wait, what was Kelly like as a younger person? Because I'm so fascinated by... So you're not familiar with Kelly from the show?
1: I'm familiar with her as in i watched bits of the show for her sake because she was coming on the show for us to see us and i wanted to see elements of it i was a little little horrified little right. shocked because it's not the kelly that i knew what's at all and it's still not really the kelly that i know even now you know of course now she's sort of selling real estate and what have you and throughout the entire quarantine i kept getting ads from from kelly trying to sell me multi million dollar apartments and i'm like well, kelly don't you know that there's a sort of I don't know, Corona going around, but nonetheless, you know, she's always been quite a force of nature. She's drop dead gorgeous, right? So
2: she was super fun on our podcast. I mean, she just laughed. She the only place she laughed all the way through it. I mean, God, she was good fun, that's all I can say. At the time I had my girlfriend looking through the window in the recording booth where we are, just doing that kind of eyes thing at me all the way through. And I, I can honestly tell you that I completely ignored her and just carried on just, just intoxicated by the laughter, I've got to say.
1: But you heard the intoxicated by the laughter. Intoxicated, right. Well, it might have been the cocktail. Well, no, it wasn't the cocktail. All, you know, she, she, she's very smart. All you have to really do to get through to to most guys is simply laugh at all their jokes or laugh at everything they say. And all of a sudden, this woman is amazing. Right. I love her. She's fantastic. So she, she basically had us pegged.
0: Well, and- I'm going to keep that in mind for the rest of the interview. I'm going to... Uh- you know keep on laughing but I've interviewed so many housewives throughout the year and years and more than anyone I've ever met or interviewed Kelly's the biggest mystery to me so that's why I ask on the show she was such a such a confusing presence I'd say why is that why do you think that is there's all this stuff. I, I, there was a trip. It's actually kind of like one of the most infamous trips in reality, uh, Real Housewife history. It was the first season um, that the cast went on a cast trip for the Real Housewives in New York and Kelly was infamously uh, escorted out. It's still unclear exactly what happened, but it's believed that she was escorted off by producers because there was some stuff that had gone on. No one really knows. And there's always been different reports, both from Kelly and other cast members, producers, as to like what exactly happened. And the footage we've seen, which we've heard, is only half of kind of what happened in terms of like her specific interaction with the other castmates. It was crazy and wild. And still, I've seen so much reality TV and it's still one of those things that have happened where it's shocking. If you watch those episodes from it's season three of The Real Houses of New York, it's shocking. What ha- It's still shocking TV all these years later because it's so bizarre her interactions with the other people are so bizarre and so there's a lot of mystery to what happened and if she was if she was asked by producers to leave uh, what else happened on that island and it's been coined scary island it's still fascinating TV. If you were to, anyone were to ever go back and, and be curious about it, it's like three episodes in the middle of season three of The Real House of New York and it's fantastic TV, but it's mind-boggling and and it's all mind-boggling because of Kelly. It's like what... And I feel like I'm a good judge of character and I still feel like I don't really understand the way her brain works and I, and I don't mean that as a an insult or I, I hope that doesn't come across as insensitive. It's just she's tough to figure out and that's probably because she's so multi layered. and I'm going to... I'm going to have her back
1: on the show now, just to answer your question. In fact, I might actually <laughs> dial her in right now as we're as we're yes. on, just to yeah. kind of you know really shake and stir things up. Uh, you know, I, I photograph Kelly as well um, over the years, and um, it's my you know day job, taking pictures and what have you. And she's quite something in front of the camera. I mean, she's someone who has a sort of you know, obviously as someone who's worked so, with so many top photographers and worked for so many big magazines, she knows what she's doing, and there is a sort of control. That supermodels, if you like, and top models have and learn very quickly. It's something that is, it makes them incredibly, can make them incredibly unnerving. To people because they have a way of looking down the barrel of a lens and they know when they've got it right. They know what picture sells. They, they've, this is how they make their money. They've, you know, they're being booked over and over again. They're making millions of dollars. They're on the covers of magazines and they know. They just know it, right? And someone like even like a Tyra Banks or Cindy Crawford, whoever you might be shooting, when they, after a couple of frames or whatever, they know it, they'll say, I'm done or I've got it. And it doesn't matter whether you think you've got it. They know they've delivered it. She has that. She, you know, will look. And, and I remember her very much, the whole position of her body, the hair, the shake, the look in the eyes. And it's just like a little cat is inside her. It's almost like, you know, like roaring for a second, one or two. And then if she pulls back and it's chase me a little bit. It's like a, the, sort of the whole game. It's very interesting, you know, to watch her do her thing. And I'm sure she uses it in, in yeah. everything. I mean, it's like a weapon, you know, it's like a sort of a superpower, if you like. Very interesting, you know, to to, to sort of see her on a show like this.
0: Can I ask you, you said, um, you know, supermodels have this disarming quality. And I'm always so interested, like who, in your opinion, is that got in front of your camera who was so disarming? or Who do you think is the best or so good at that in modeling? Because there's been so many fantastic models, but like who really arrested you? I do believe that this might turn
1: into everything iconic. I can't can't help that. What's happening here is Danny Pellegrino is trying to hijack (laughs) my interview and ask me questions about
0: my career. I mean, for God's sakes. No, but people want to know. They're listening to your show, so they want to know these things too, I
1: bet. Yes, of course they do, but I also would like to know that why I haven't been invited on to Everything
0: Iconic. You'll come on and I'll ask you all of these things again.
1: I, <laughs> I, you know, unbelievable. I mean, I hear that you had Jay Manuel on for, for, you know, of, of all the people. I... Jay Manuel. <laughs> He's really
2: upset about it. He's really actually (laughs) genuinely upset about this. He
0: (laughs) was. And you know what? I actually have so many questions for you about Tyra because I talked to Jay and I found out so many things about that set and and the the scenes. I'm I'm so (laughs) curious. Complete
1: fibs. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> all, all exaggerating, just trying to sell a book. I think, right? Is selling a book. You know, what, yeah, everyone's got to sell a book. wig and a bitch and, a, and a something else and a meltdown <laughs> or, or whatever. Yeah, look, I, I was never wore a wig. I can tell you that. I might be a bitch, and I've never melted down. It's all I can say about the book. I know it's all about me, right, right. and that's why Jay never sent me an advance copy. I'm not bitter about that either, Jay. But
0: Nigel, I asked him who he thought were the best models in the history, too. I'm curious about that. Like, who did you think, who do you think are the best, not necessarily the most stunning, but like the best at that job? Did Jay mention
1: my name when he thought about the best models? No,
0: he didn't mention you. No. Such a bitch. (laughs) Anyway,
1: um, (laughs) I will be honest. And I will tell you that there are different styles of models, right? They all, many of them have, and after this, by the way, we're getting back to me asking the questions. Okay, okay. So there are different types. So, for example, Tyra, and I know that people, oh, yeah, Tyra, of course you're going to say Tyra. Seriously, without joking, she has an incredible power with her eyes. And we all know it, the smiles. But joking aside, when you sit next to someone like that, okay, and I've sat on many panels, many things, doing whatever you're doing, it's very disarming to turn around in the middle of a conversation because you're quite heated about something, some photograph, someone, Janice Dickinson's just said something insulting to you. You know, Andre Leon Talley said something ridiculous or something outrageous or something just sort of, you know, you're like, what? Or, you know, you're just getting into the conversation and all of a sudden you turn around and you stare at Tyra, who's just staring at you. And those green, blue, brown, hazel eyes swirling around in her head, almost sort of, you know, you know the stunning. the snake from uh, Jungle Book that sort of has the whizzing eyes that goes round and round. It's almost like that. I mean, you're sort of like, you're like- mm. Hypnotizing. Hypnotizing, right. like, you know, and you almost turn to stone slightly. It's almost like, you know, slightly medusa You're like, like, oh my God, what do I do now? I've, I've forgotten what I was going to say. So she has that ability and she uses it. And she's definitely one who will take five, six frames and say, I'm done. But you know, someone like a Coco Rocha, who in front of my camera is, she's the opposite. She will not stop moving, and as a photographer, you don't want to stop shooting her. So, whereas one or two of these supermodels, you know, you don't know whether it's the fact that they say they've given it to you because that's it—they've done their power move and they're done—and they want to move because it's time is money, and you know, and you don't have you know the money, and I don't have the time, you know, or it's a situation of like a Coco, who's just so amazing that you just never want to stop shooting her because you don't know if there's an even better picture about to come, and there's so many good shots, and you're left with a thousand pictures to edit right and then you got like a naomi campbell you know who walks into the room and forget about wind in the hair i mean it is absurd it's as if she's sort of half stallion horse half human i mean if there was a you know the centaur was actually is a real thing it's naomi campbell you know, and it's just extraordinary. So she has that power. So, you know, so over the years, and I only that's just a name, but a couple. I mean, I, I sure, you got,
0: sure you can wax poetic about every one of them. And that's why they're all so special. You know, I'm obsessed with all of those women, but Naomi Campbell, I'm obsessed recently with her YouTube channel. And I just find her to be just the most beautiful. I, of course, they all are beautiful in different ways, but Naomi is just like, oh, stunning. Stunning. Perfect.
2: I Night, just referred to Tara Banks as a snake. Naomi Campbell as a, as a horse. Um, cocorocha. Do you want to give her an animal, Nigel?
1: I don't know. Cocorocha? What did you oh, say? Oh, there you go.
0: Right.
1: There you go. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, yes. Three of the most beautiful women on the planet. Meanwhile, me, old baldy Locks here. Thank God I've got a job on on, on radio, as you like to
0: say, Tom. Um, and, I'm so fascinated by all of the models that I've mean, been. Yeah.
1: What, what, what is it with you and, and reality television? When did you get addicted to reality TV? Are you not addicted? What is, I mean, what I've you always doing?
0: liked it. I, I was a kid who was really into the real world. I remember watching, I'm from Ohio, and I remember watching the old school re- seasons of the real world and just being so fascinated by it. And like seeing, that was, the first time I saw people like myself, I'm a gay man, and seeing a gay man on TV. I don't remember seeing that outside of the real world. So it was like, that's where I saw it. And and then it just evolved. I remember I, I got into Housewives when, I mean, speaking of New York, when The Real Housewives of New York started, that was when I got hooked on Housewives. And I just found it to be fascinating and and also attracted to the fact that it's one of the few places on television where we can see stories about older women. And even in the scripted space, it's like, I you know people talk about it being fights and there is a lot of stuff that is problematic on those shows. I'm not saying that, you know, Housewives is perfect or anything, but I still think there's a lot of good stuff there where even in the whole television landscape we're not seeing these kinds of women represented anywhere. Um and so at least we get to see these women being on Housewives we see women over 50, over 60 being sexual, running businesses and and being mothers and and seeing the whole gamut of them. And people, uh, the press and everyone on social media picks up on the fights and that stuff's really entertaining and dramatic. But I think there's also something to be said about, about that aspect of it. And so I, I've always loved it. And then, of course, the addiction. Bravo has a very specific way of making their reality shows. And so I think you get hooked on their style. And so you get hooked on shows like Vanderpump Rules or or Below Deck or whatever else they're airing. But I I watched Top Model back in the day too. I remember. Finally, the top, right here we go. Okay, I mean, God. I and mean, I was just you know, know. You, you just skipped it you just went which from, okay Nigel now I'm going to dig in so what happened on that set that seemed like there was like it seemed like behind the set. scenes
1: now, first of all we're talking about you now not stop, stop jumping <laughs> and jumping to interview me Mr Iconic Everything which quite frankly should be called <laughs> ironic everything I'm I'm curious we we had the same um, executive producers as Real World and so you know on, on Top Model and and they they kind of you know left MTV created Top Model but. Did Top Model do it for you? Did it did it have the same impact?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was talking to Jay about this too. It was like seeing just representation at that time, like of Top when Top Model started. It's like seeing a gay person on TV was like a big deal to me. So, like, I know there wasn't. I don't even remember if Jay was like explicitly out on the show, but it was.
2: I thought you were talking about Nigel. Sorry, I didn't know what you were talking about Jay.
1: Oh, Jay, Jay
0: but yeah, no, no. I <laughs>
1: He's trying to be funny. No, no, Danny, you have no. to he's trying to be funny. So you are a comedian. Meanwhile, know, I'm actually quite naturally funny. Tom is not funny at all, but he tries. And so it completely just <laughs> over the top of your head. No, I get it. Let
0: me tell tell you something though about Top Model that was so brilliant about it. It was so batshit insane in the most wonderful ways. It's like those moments are still being shared online because we you know, fans would be watching it and you could not figure it out. You did not know what was going to happen every episode. It was like the challenges or the, the shoots. It was like it, it was fun to, to not know what was going to happen next. And I think that makes re- great reality TV in any sort of
1: show. The, uh, the reality is, I, you know, having been there, I had no idea what was going to happen. No one did. That, I think that's part of the reason why it, it is so brilliant, is purely because everybody who's on the show, I mean, literally everyone was freaked out by what was happening around them. It wasn't planned. It wasn't like, let's do this crazy thing, or like, you know, let's sort of like whip up another really outlandish thing to say or do and plan it and plant it. This stuff was just happening on the fly, left, right, and center. So everyone's sitting on the edge of their seats, about to fall off, looking left, right, and wondering what's about to happen next. You know, right. I think I just survived through the show, and you know, probably just looking horrified on the side and trying to be as normal as possible. And as much as you said, that, you know, that you know, you felt great to see, obviously, a gay person on the show. I was the only straight person on the show. Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, you know, straight man on the show. So I was completely outnumbered which was hilarious as well. And uh, you know, and I think that I never pretended to be one thing or another. So most people out there still actually think that I'm gay. So being English... I think know. a lot of
0: people, a lot of kids like myself, hoped at least when we were watching. But but no, I, I thought that show was just... Uh, it was fun to watch and, and I miss it. And, and it was crazy and I, I miss it.
1: It was a fun show and it's hilarious that it's still being, you know, replayed a thousand million times. And in fact, in ecuador right now i believe it's just on season two so all of a sudden there's a huge bump in numbers of fans in ecuador so tom we might go to ecuador
2: yeah i mean also they've got to keep repeating it because obviously you know the people
0: who used to watch
2: it now basically retirees putting their feet up and they need something to do all
1: day <laughs> yeah i'm very popular with grandma I, think it's all, is
0: yeah. it on Am- I feel like it's on amazon or one of the streaming services too so i, I even have friends who have who have discovered it for the first time, or or went back and watched it during this like crazy pandemic and everything? So it's still kicking. So so tell us about your 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 podcast. You've
1: had a lot of interesting people on, and a lot of people from reality TV. Have you had a favorite
0: interview? You know, I've had so so many great interviews. Um, I recently had Katie Couric on, which was just in terms of like journalism or interviewing. That was really exciting for me. And then I've had other people that have kind of surprised me. I love having uh, the reality TV people are so great to chat with, but it's been some of the other people, like the people in acting or or entertainment that have been really a dream of mine, like that I would have loved as a kid to be able to talk to. And so now getting to chat with them uh, you know, at Jennifer Love Hewitt, I had her poster on my wall as a kid, as a teen kid, uh, you know, and so getting to talk to her, right, yeah, yeah, and so she she like came to my house, and it was like great to talk to her about movies and stuff that I grew up with, and then, you know, other people have surprised me. There was a woman named Rachel um, Osterbach. I hope I'm saying her name right. She was a reality, uh, she was on a reality show called Born This Way on A&E, and it's about these young adults with Down syndrome, and and it was a very unique reality show. It ended up winning like a bunch of Emmys. And it was so good, but not a lot of people watched it. It was like very low rated. But I loved the show, and she she had down she has Down syndrome. and she came out and we talked about pop culture. and And I think I came away from that being like, it's so wonderful how we can all connect on pop culture. Everyone has different stuff that they love. Like I'm sure you love different movies than I love, but I'm sure if we were to talk long enough, we'd find the things that we both love. So I think that pop culture has this unique way of uniting all of us, no matter where you come from, your background, anything. And, and I so I love having conversations where I find that I connect with people on some movie or obscure TV show or music or something.
1: Tom has never watched a single episode of my show.
0: He doesn't. Have, yeah, but I'm sure, Tom. What's your favorite, Tom? Like top three movies that come to mind, or things that you never stop watching? Come on, Tom. Top three.
2: Got to be Citizen Kane, isn't it? Oh God, top three. This is you're putting me on the spot. I hate me no, on like the what? Spot. If
0: you're what, if you're got the TV yeah. on, I don't know if you watch a lot of TV, but literally lives underneath a rock. In, in I don't watch
1: three. television. You don't watch television. Right. But so That's knows, why I have him on. He, it's the funniest thing on the planet. He knows nothing about pop culture. You know, he doesn't even know what year it is. He probably thinks... <laughs> <laughs> He's like,
0: where are we right now?
2: It's quite funny, though, because when you were saying, there's a, you know, there's something for everyone that connects everyone in pop culture, I was just sitting there going, Christ, OK, I'm going to try and get... Google
1: pop culture for a minute. There, he doesn't need anyway. it. His girlfriend is twenty-one. But Tom, years old. come
0: on! Oh my God, she's twenty-one. Oh my God, she, I'm sure her and I have a lot in common then. Um, in terms she of pop culture, she doesn't watch TV. Tom, come on! Do you guys listen to music? We listen to a lot of music. Okay, so what? What's what kind of music you listen to?
2: A lot of everything. A lot of country. A lot of bluegrass. I
0: love country yeah. and bluegrass. Alison Cross. I love.
2: Uh, yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, I'm a guitarist, so I've a lot of Doc Watson, and I used to play a lot of the old Lightning Hopkins stuff, all that blue stuff. And you know, Nigel was listening to kind of Aber and like Duran Duran, and I was listening to Doc Watson and Lightning Hopkins. Which true. completely
0: true, true, he literally true.
2: probably have no pop culture crossover at all, right? And I have to say that I haven't ever managed to watch him on America's Next Off. <laughs> <Well>, you're <laughs> missing no a lot, ever, Tom.
1: You know, I, I told him it would change his life, he wouldn't just wear white collared shirts. Yeah every day, which is basically what, what he's been wearing since I've known him since he was 14 years old. Nothing has changed. He's still in his school uniform. He's in fact, if he were to stand works. up and walk around, he would see he had little gray shorts on, which are quite tight, because he's literally been wearing them since he was 14. <laughs> he's he's um, wearing what works. It certainly works for the, you know, the young'uns. Tom, I'm gonna um, yeah. send you
0: some clips from Top Model of the, just like some best of moments, and you'll be entertained. So Katie Couric, she was the first name you mentioned. Is she into reality television? Is, she, is that no, why you had it wrong? No, um, no, I've I've been, I try to interview anyone in entertainment. I, I think the focus of my show is obviously reality TV, but I love chatting with different people from whether it be actors, journalists, whoever. And so she reached out to me and we be, we became sort of friends on social media. And then of course I like begged her to do my show and she was kind enough to do it recently and she was wonderful, yeah.
1: You know, she's, she's actually wonderful. I, I've actually done a, a few things with her over the years as well. And she's very, very charming. Uh, I just wouldn't have pegged her as, you know, the first person that you would mention on your show. Now I have to think to myself, okay, you know, it really is everything ironic.
0: Um, everything you know, iconic. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and ironic, and by all accounts. yeah, yeah. And, you know, only, only because, you know, you're, you are known for being the reality show man, you know, and everyone that uh, Bravo loves you
0: thank you. I love, I love all the Bravo stuff. And those are the episodes that people come to the show for. But if I get a chance to interview someone like Katie Couric, I'm like in heaven.
1: Okay. Yeah. So who, if you could interview anyone then, and obviously you can't include me in this, other than me, other than you, who would you really love to interview?
0: You know, Tyra, Tyra's on the top of my list and I would love to interview Tyra Banks. Cause I think she's so fascinated as fascinating as like a businesswoman entertainer. I feel like she's been through it all in the entertainment industry. Mariah Carey is like a number one on my list. Like I, I, I love her and I'm fascinated by her career and her, her writing ability too, cause she writes all of her songs. Meg Ryan is someone I grew up worshiping. And so, she, you know, it's a lot of women in entertainment, of course. Uh, but, yeah, I think Meg Ryan is someone who's up there. I'm happy to wear, a, you know, Donna Weave if it helps me get on your show. You yeah, know? I mean that that can be arranged. <laughs> I know I mostly ha- I mostly have women, but I occasionally I'm happy to have men on. It's just I I tend to have more women on the show, but also people like Britney Spears or Jessica Simpson. I'm fascinated by like the journey of a pop star and and kind of what they go through, particularly those girls who or those women who, at a young age when they when they were younger, what they had to go through. To kind of be stars. And I find that the psychology of that very fascinating.
1: So you recently put on a clip on your Instagram of Jessica Simpson. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, shopping at, looked like a Home Depot or something, Lowe's, I don't know. You know, I clicked on it and I was watching it. I was both laughing, but incredibly, felt incredibly sad at the same time. I don't know why, but. There's a lot of those sort of. You mentioned Britney Spears as well. You know, I've watched a few of her videos, and she's obviously hilarious and a great dancer and everything. But there seems to be something, you know, also just off, which is not funny, right? And and it's a little tragic. It's you know, how how do you handle that aspect of it all?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Jessica Simpson. I started doing these things called Jessica Thursday on my Instagram, and they kind of took off. And so I started posting little clips every Thursday and and I had read her book recently. She came out with like a memoir and it was so fascinating. And I think what I learned reading her memoir is just like, we're still learning so much about that time in pop culture. It was like sort of pre-social media and things that like, I don't think we even realized she had to go through with like the record label and with her, her family and, and her relationship with Nick, which at the time that newlyweds era, it was like, it was such a huge phenomenon and we are learning little details about them um, and their relationship. And I, I don't know, I, I think it's going to be years before we even know much about Brittany. I know everyone speculates about like what's going on. And I, I don't know that we'll know for a long time of like what is actually happening. And, and I feel with her and with all of those women, they've given us so much and they've given so much to the entertainment industry. And I, it, my heart breaks. It's like, I hope that they're okay. and I hope that everything's mentally okay. And I just want, I don't know, with Brittany, I just want like only good things for her. I'm like, I just hope everything's, whatever she needs to be happy and healthy, like I just hope she gets it.
1: Of course. I mean, as one would want probably for anybody, right? Yeah, but yeah. It's- you know, but I, you know, I looked at her, some of her, her sort of dance videos recently and there's, you know, she's sort of dancing really hard at the camera, and, you know, and sort of flipping around and sort of, it, it's of manic, right? At the same time as being, you know, okay, is it meant to be funny? Am I, should I be laughing? Or is this, is uh, is it, you know, made to be sexy? Or is it just meant to be fun? Or, you know, I, I, I just didn't know how to gauge it. And then I felt oh, right. rotten a little bit because we've known her and we've sort of, We've all kind of grown up with, with, with a lot of these people, and you know the Ashley one was purely she's a little different. But the, the clip you played, you know, just for me struck me as a little sad, in as much as here's someone just trying to get on with something very normal in their life, and every aspect of their life is being is under a microscope. Every the smallest smallest thing, even going into Home Depot becomes fascinating. You know, just walking around anywhere, shopping, doing this, doing that. It's sort of I can't even having worked on reality television, but being on the other side. I can't imagine anything worse than that. It's not not just being a contestant. This is like having your life under the mic
0: all the time. The good thing I think about social media is that now it seems like celebrities are more in control over what's, what's out there and the narrative of their life. And there was just like a really long period of time, I'd say from like 2000 to 2000, I don't know, 12 or something where it was like these women, Lindsay Lohan or Britney or whoever, the tabloids were obsessed with them and and the narrative behind their lives were not controlled by them in any way. It was like it was controlled by their PR and their management and the tabloids. And they just sort of went along with it. And oftentimes it painted them in the most horrific ways. And again, on some level, they had to sort of approve it or, or they saw what was happening. But the way that I think culture sort of treated celebrities between that, those years was so dark and twisted, but yet what, the, what we saw was just the splashy headlines and, like, colorful magazines with, like, cute pictures and stuff. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm making any sense right now, but...
2: That makes complete sense. That's a really interesting point, actually, I think. The advent of social media, and basically you're sitting there reading a tabloid, right? You can read any story and you can just sit there and go, oh, my God, you can believe it. You can, they can write the most dreadful things. But if someone's sitting there on social media posting what they're, you know, I don't know, posting what their actually daily professional life is like or whatever they're there with their dog, they're doing that, they're looking happy, then, you know, you don't get the tabloids coming and going, drug, sex, binge, problem, you know, screw up. It's such a good point that people now have, as you said, the control and the merit of their life. It's a really
0: good point. Sometimes I think social media helps us see things more clearly. Like you might see a celebrity on Instagram, like totally effed up on drugs or alcohol or whatever. And we can see that with our eyes. And then we could say, oh, yeah, they're a mess. And other times we can see that it's like, no, they seem like they got it together. They seem happy, healthy. They're, you know, whatever it is.
1: One can also fall for the BS on social media. Right? Right. So yes, you, know, you can totally stage your life on, on Instagram, right? What, what a day in the life of, or what should I be doing today? And I, you know, there's so many people who I work with who have social media managers and they are taking these photographs of what's happening in this person's life, not posting them in real time, but you know, a week to two weeks ahead of time, and they're photographing them, and then it, these pictures of what's happening today are going to come out in two weeks once they've been edited, once they've been approved, once they've been gone through by a publicist and tweaked and fixed and color corrected, and, and even when they look bad and off, that's all deliberate. It's like, oh no, yeah, here's a picture that I off selfie, and it's you know, I'm out of focus, or mm. you know, I've, I've got food on my face. Oh, you know, it's like oh god how real you are how how i eat a sandwich and i get mayonnaise on the side of my mouth too i love you love <laughs> and you're like oh for god's sake really i mean it's a bit absurd right and
0: yeah. the comments but i mean sometimes like a celebrity will comment on like another celebrity's instagram and it's like it's not even that person commenting it's their it's their social media person commenting and and everyone will analyze that people in in news or media will analyze that comment it's like it wasn't even from them but It's it's all fascinating. I think, I I don't know. Wait
1: a second, Danny. Sorry. Um, Social media manager, just please go and like all of Danny's posts right now. Thank you. Sorry, just making a quick mental note. Look, what about YouTube? Let's talk YouTube for a minute. Do you follow and like YouTube stars? Because they're a little bonkers as well.
0: Yeah, I'm not really... I'm sort of new to YouTube. So, like, I go... I do like YouTube. I go on for, like, the Architectural Digest videos and, like, that kind of thing. But um, my boyfriend actually follows, like, the... I don't even, I I wish I could like say that. I sound like so out of the loop, but you know, he follows a lot of the drama with YouTubers and stuff. So I have like a passing knowledge of like uh, who Shane Dawson is or, or Jeffree Star or some of these names that, you know, I'm not necessarily well equipped to talk about, but uh, I have some passing knowledge of it, but I find it fascinating. It's like a whole separate media, you know, they make so much money and, and they're so known by their audiences. But culturally, it's like, I don't know if someone in, I don't know. I don't know.
1: No, but no, but no, you were onto something. You were about to say it. And I'm going to say it for you. And if I'm wrong, tell me. Please. But... I I think that what you're saying is that they're not necessarily culturally or known in a sort of pop culture kind of way. And I think that you're 100% right. It's very funny, isn't it, that there are these YouTube stars who are major stars as far as they've got millions of followers, more followers than many of the biggest hit TV shows have as, as viewers weekly, right? They've got 20 million, 30 million, 40 million YouTube followers and crazy stuff, right, making tens of millions of bucks. However, you mentioned their name. And unless you are literally really into YouTube, you've never heard of them. However, you can say Dolly Parton, and everybody knows who she is. There's sort of random people that, you know, regular celebrities, Jennifer Garner, I don't know, Russell Brandt, like various people. You may never have seen any of his movies. You may not have listened to his podcast. You may not know much about it, but you know who he is. And for some reason, there are certain aspects of pop culture, and I'm wondering when that's going to change, when people are going to cross, it's going to cross over and we're going to not know about celebrities from television and movies as much as we are YouTubers or how it's all going to meld. Because for a long time, movie actors, movie stars wouldn't do television. Now they're all over TV. They're all over the sort of dramas and stuff. And it's going to cross over, you know. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think that's very interesting. And and with YouTube, I don't know that they've necessarily made like a cultural footprint yet. And it's still such a new medium, but it's like, I can't, and maybe I'm just not aware, but I can't think of something that has crossed over in the YouTube sphere that like everyone knows where if you television, it's like people know the Mary Tyler Moore show or, or The Office. It's like those are pieces of art that have, have left an impact. And I don't know that there's a ton of YouTube content that has left that kind of impact. And And maybe somebody out there is listening and saying, oh, this has... But there was a show that I just watched, I binged it over this like quarantine called The Chair. And it was a show on stars. And they gave two different movie directors uh, the same script and they got to direct their version of that script. So these two people were chosen as directors. One was this woman who was like a, she came from like indie film and she, um, she had made a couple of indies. And then the other one was this YouTuber who had 10 plus million followers. And they both made very different versions of this movie. The YouTuber made like a wild, outrageous comedy and she made more of an indie. And when they were showing the movie and when the movie started uh, premiering, the people behind this show were expecting the YouTuber's movie to make all this money because they said, even if just some of his audience, I think maybe at the time he had like 30 million followers, maybe I'm wrong, but they expected at least a portion of that are gonna come buy a ticket to the movie theaters. And what they found at the end of this show, which was a really fascinating show, was that people that didn't translate and the only people that would buy tickets to see his movie when it was released in theaters in LA, New York, wherever, were the people who... If he told them he was going to be at the theater presenting the movie, then they would come so that they could get to know him and meet him, this YouTube presence that they got to know. They didn't want to see his scripted movie. They weren't buying tickets to this movie otherwise. It made, I think, like $3,000 or something at the box office. And so these people behind this TV show, it was like Zachary Quinto and and Chris Moore, who's like the director, producer behind American Pie. It was like these guys who they had chosen one of these people to be a YouTube. YouTuber because they anticipated his fan base would translate and they just didn't and the show was made I think five years ago or four years ago so eventually maybe that'll change but I wonder when or if it will
1: can I ask you did they do the
0: reverse and play the indie movie on YouTube (laughs) I I don't know but I watched both of them the indie movie was actually pretty good but a little slow and boring but it was better than the
1: other well, no, because I, well, no, because I wonder, right? Because the, you, the, you know, the the challenge here, you seem to say, it was that how well did the YouTuber? movie do in traditional movie theaters well you know why shouldn't the challenge be how successful is the indie movie to people who watch youtube because clearly the youtuber knows what he's doing what they what they're doing on youtube and that movie i, I wondered to hit the, their audience to the 30 million plus people how many of them would have watched and what revenue would have been granted you know garnered from that viewership, uh, you know, and their subscriber base and, you know, what have you, versus the indie movie, if she's tried to do, you know, put it on YouTube and hope to get some viewers and, you know, try to get a fan base and what have you, it'd be very interesting to compare the two, you know, to do the sort of, to do both sides. Because quite frankly, who's going to the movies anymore? Half these movie theaters are closing, you know, in today's day and
0: age with COVID, <laughs> right. Yeah, who knows if they'll come back from it? You right. know the the other challenge I think with someone who's an indie author, like someone who doesn't have a social media following, it's like I don't. It's going to be harder and harder for them to get any sort of financing for anything or to get. I, I've seen it myself going up for jobs and stuff. It's like these companies don't want to hire you unless you have a social media following too. So the flip of it is you have to have some sort of social media following for so many of these jobs. But then if you get a big enough social media following, you don't need these other jobs because you're making the money directly. I I don't know.
1: It's a complicated world out there, Danny. It seems like you're doing the right thing though, nonetheless, you, you're you pretty much springboarding from one thing to another. And I'm curious as to know, what, what would you like to do next? Where are you hoping to go?
0: You know, I want to, uh, I've written uh, a lot of, I've written some books with other people and I want to do my own book. I'm, I'm working now on a book of uh, essays, so like a comedic essay. So that's like kind of the goal. It, it's not something that I've had set up or, or anything. It's just kind of in the early st- uh, stages of like a proposal. So that's kind of hopeful. I also have a movie that I wrote that was optioned with a production company and we're in sort of like early state. We have a director attached and a-, a star attached. And so I'm hopeful. We'll see how it goes because everything kind of stopped or slowed down because of COVID. But I'm I'm hopeful and fingers crossed that it gets made after all of this. But I really like the writing side of it. And I'd like to perform more and and do more in front of the camera, but I kind of want to do it. I want to be able to do it all. I don't know. That's greedy. Well, why not? You should yeah. be able
1: to do it all. It seems yeah. like you're doing it all. I, mean, you know, I, I need to get myself a copy of Fancy AF Cocktails.
0: Yes, it's a great cocktail book. I mean, there's like over 80 recipes in it and there's like crazy, easy recipes and then very like... Uh, upscale, fancy drinks in there. They're, it's like a wild array of stuff. And I, I, I co-wrote it with two of the cast members of Vanderpump Rules, and they they're amazing bartenders, and they created the most amazing drinks. Do you have a favorite cocktail? My go-to is like a vodka soda, but there's a drink in there that it's uh, not a they, cocktail. Danny. I know, I know. That's just a basic, um, yeah, not a basic anything. It's like watered down vodka. I know. That's my go to. I don't I wouldn't say that's what I like the most, but it's a cocktail, Danny. For God's sake, i to have fancy as fuck cocktails. Right, there is a cocktail in there called the Iconic Pellegrino that it's got Pellegrino water in. It's got uh uh vodka, pineapple juice, simple syrup. It's delicious. It's like it's a little sweet, but it's it's called the Iconic Pellegrino and I put the recipe on my th- on my uh Instagram people can see it. But that's my favorite. that's like if I'm making it
1: he didn't make it for shaken and stirred. What can I say, Danny? A <laughs> pleasure. Can we, before we wrap up, we have something called last orders on shaken and stirred. Rapid fire questions. Are you up for it? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Danny. I want to know if you had the ch- if you had to change your name, what would you change it to? Uh, Sorry, Danny. I'm going to interrupt it.
2: Yes. I was reading these notes, and I thought I'm going to ring Nigel immediately because it's one of the most defensive questions I think I've ever seen anybody <laughs> ask any you know
1: especially as you and might you know let me mute him now let me just mute him for a moment uh, mute okay danny you could change the name <laughs> what would you change it to
0: i don't know what it says about me tom but i do have an answer for it and uh i like the. i was just talking to my boyfriend about the name oliver i really like the name oliver for a kid we don't have any kids but like you know down the line and he hates it and so that would be my answer because I'm not going to be able to name a kid that. So, I like the name well, Oliver. It's
1: not such a crazy, you know, I went through my entire life wishing that my name was not Nigel. What did you want it to be, Nigel? Well, my middle name was, my middle name was Mark. So I used to always pretend to be Mark. But there's actually an expression in England where they call you a right Nigel. It's like a, it's like an insult to be called Nigel, and hence the name Nigel has disappeared off the uh, the name the list of names you know of babies being named Nigel. But it's funny only in America. Then I came here that people actually go, "Oh, I like the name Nigel." Well, no wonder you stayed there. Exactly. Hence, I moved here.
0: Tom's on to you. Tom figured out the psyche behind why you're asking that question. Know, it's because my, you're not. You don't like your name. My mute,
1: my mute button is not working. Just
0: Seems to just make him go redder whenever I press
1: it. Anyway. Name the first word that comes to mind now. Uh, caboose. I won't even ask any questions about that. I just
0: love that word. I love the word caboose. An instrument
1: that makes a knot, isn't it? No, it's a train thing.
0: Yeah, it's like that back of a train. I, people use it as like your, your ass or your butt. It's like your caboose. Oh, okay, I, I thought it was the back of a train and you say it's an ass. Sorry, and he thought it was a musical <laughs> instrument. There you go, people. What is a caboose? I just like the sound of it. I also love the word sassafras, which is neither here nor there, but I love the word sassafras.
1: <laughs> sassafras, you know, my daughter who's 11 likes the, the word sassafras That's yeah, a well. good word. He runs around saying sassafras. Anyway, in the movie of your life, this is Tom's favorite question, who would you like to see play
0: you? You know, Daniel Levy, I think, like he, uh, yeah, I think he he's like an, he was from the Schitt's Creek. People, you just say, I remind, we remind each other of each other or him of, him of me, whatever. And I like him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, spit it out, Danny, for goodness uh, sake. I'm rambling. Uh, I love it. What's your nickname your parents used to call you? They used to call me Danster. Like uh, my mom, she still does to this day and it's Danster. Like D-A-N-S-T-E-R. The gangster, yeah.
1: My nickname was really, really bad, actually. So you won't believe this. I don't think I've ever told anyone. It's maybe the first time ever, and I'm probably giving away the password to all my credit cards right now. Um, but my nickname was um, Poodle. Wait, why? So it, you have to go and research photographs of me when I was a child, Danny. And you will edit, they're out there. But you will see that I was reminiscent of a poodle because of my hairstyle. It was so puffy oh and God. poofy. That my brothers used to call me Poodle. He still he still calls you Poodle, man. Um Last question. Shaken or stirred?
0: Okay, hold on, though. I need to hear, what was Tom's nickname as a kid?
2: I've got red hair. It was, they were abusive, all of them. As a result, I find none of them funny at all. Light nice, has
1: probably got. I've got several, but right now his nickname is Aperol Spritz. Um, yeah. Depends on the season. He's looking a little bit more like a rose at this point. Um, and occasionally we just call him Campari when we're, you know, when we're out and about just because it sounds sexier in Italian. I love that. Shaken or stirred, Danny? Sh- I'm more shaken. Shaken. Ooh, shaken. Love mm. it. Danny Pellegrino, shaken on The Shaken and Sturd Show, thank you so much for coming on, talking about everything iconic that was not ironic. And um, I look forward to, to coming on your show. because Yeah, just I'm
0: in... going to pester you, Nigel, to come on the show. And It was such a delight. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. And
1: where can everyone find your podcast, Danny?
0: It's Everything Iconic, which uh, it's on Spotify, iTunes, wherever. And then my social media is at Danny Pellegrino on Twitter and Instagram.
1: Fantastic. You're in for a ride everyone. If you follow Danny, he's hilarious, brilliant, and extremely lovely. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank we appreciate you both so much. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken Instead. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe.
2: See ya.